Better sleep, better you. We all know sleep is important, and having a great mattress is paramount in achieving a deep sleep. This is where the Goo Goo Mattress Company comes in. Super comfortable, very affordable, and delivered to your home for free. Go to gugu.jp, read the many testimonials, and enter BB Japan in the promo box and receive a 20% discount. Learn more at gugu.jp and get ready for sweet dreams. Goo Goo. Better sleep, better you. Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is a first in that it's the first time to be recorded remotely, and not just because of social distancing, but also because today's guest is based in the UK. Mr. Paul Willis is an Omote Nashi consultant. Never heard of such a profession? Neither had I. Omotenashi is often translated as, quote, Japanese hospitality, unquote, or as a catch-all phrase for doing good stuff for your customers or guests. Today, Paul does a very deep dive analysis of Omotenashi and deconstructs six major elements and behaviors which make up the Omotenashi philosophy. We also discuss how he sells or how he pitches his services to organizations, his greatest success to date, his most disappointing customer experience in Japan, and his take on the future of omotenashi in a post-COVID era. If you have interest in the culture behind Japanese hospitality, get a pen and a piece of paper ready because this episode is very note-taking worthy. This is Mr. Omotenashi, Paul Willis. If you will, I bookend, I, I wrap up the material I'm working on for the webinars with the concept of Ikigai, that intersection of multiple elements, your passion, what you're good at, what you need to be paid for, the Ikigai, and I think is a beautiful Japanese expression. And the, the closest that any other language comes to it is the French, the raison d'être, the raison d'être of somebody's life. What is your reason for being? Like, why do you get out of bed in the morning? And it's not just to earn a living. Paul Willis, thank you very much for joining today. Very welcome. Great to be here. You are the founder of Omotenashi CX, the Customer Experience Consultancy. That's that's me. I really wanted to talk to you because, like you, I am very intrigued by Omotenashi and some of the concepts behind it. Uh, I experience it almost every day living here in Japan. And I also try to promote Omotenashi through my business. And I know that you have deconstructed Omotenashi into a very cool model that has six components to it, where you break down the unique culture and characteristics behind Omotenashi. How did you get so turned on and passionate about Omotenashi? That's a great question. Obviously, it's the kickoff question. Why would I make a whole business around it and so forth? Now, where do you start? All right, I'll start at the very, very top. My father, unusually, uh, was a, a student of Eastern teachings. At around 11 or 12, he began to introduce me to Eastern teachings, uh, Hinduism and Buddhism and so forth. And it was uh, about 10 years later, when I was 21, that I climbed on a plane for completely different reasons to find my fortune, let's say, and I went to Hong Kong. And over the next 21 years, I lived in five countries, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Macau, 
Singapore and Thailand. And most of that time was spent in Thailand, which is, as I'm sure you know, it's a 95% Buddhist country. I came back to UK around um, 10 years ago, and I was, I don't know how to put it, I was shocked by the inconsistency around customer service behaviors in the UK. This was not me on the receiving end saying, oh, you know, the service is so wonderful in Asia and it's very poor and patchy here. I was really more interested why people in, especially young people, in customer service roles in UK, as I was observing it, you know, I'm English, but I sort of observing it as a foreigner in many ways, having lived as an adult so many years overseas. And I know it's a broad generalization, and please forgive me for making them, but it just came across that people don't like serving other people in this very individualistic culture. And I think the reason is because the great service behaviors are very not uh, often very not well reciprocated. You're dealing with people who there isn't this sort of homogenous culture as you have in Japan. So when I look back at it, I thought, well, why don't we teach them how to be as self, you know, self-confident and with high self-esteem to deliver service in the way I remembered from my many trips to Japan. And this was since 1999. So I looked across it and said, well, is it just me? And I started to look up the subject, customer service, hospitality, and so forth in Japan. And it didn't take long to come across the word omotenashi. At that point, I, I then discovered, as you do, you know, sitting in front of Google, wait a minute, what does it really mean? Because I kept coming up with other words that seemed to surround it, and it seemed to mean anything to anybody. It took me some months to pull it all apart uh, and to find out what the elements were in it. And to really answer your question, uh, I've always been in service roles, although I'm by trade, if you want to call it that, an IT guy. Uh, It was in professional services roles, and I'm serving my customers. And uh, when I started my IT business in Hong Kong, my very first customer was the Peninsula Hotel, uh, which you may have heard of or seen. uh. Of course. One thing I wanted to ask you, you said that the levels of service in the UK are nowhere as close to the levels of service or hospitality or omotenashi that you experienced when you were in Japan. Could one of the reasons be that you were a visitor to Japan and so you were staying at nice hotels or maybe dining at nice restaurants? You were every time, every visit to Japan, you were in deep in the hospitality industry. Whereas you now being home in UK, you're probably not staying at the Four Seasons or dining out at nice restaurants. I, I tried in going across this whole process of understanding it to, if you will, to dial that out. I think the better way to characterize it, I'm not here saying that the service is great in Japan and it's really not great here. I, I'm saying something slightly more nuanced than that. And that is that you can and do get unbelievably good service here in UK. In fact, anywhere in the world, but in UK is where I'm living now. But what I observed is that the service levels are very much more consistent in Japan than they are here. Here, if if you want to visualize that, it's very simple. 
draw the bell curve. And the bell curve of great service on one end and poor service on the other. The bell curve in Japan is on the right hand side. And if you overlap it with a bell curve in the middle, which is UK service, the long tail of each bell curve, there is great service at the great end of it. It's possible that and reasonable, in fact, to say that you can get and do get better service. And I, as an Englishman, because I can communicate in English and so forth, and I understand the, the social cues uh, and reciprocation, you know what I mean? I, I know how to establish a relationship with somebody who's in the business of giving me a, a service delivery of some form and, and not throw my weight around and not be arrogant. And I, I enjoy great service in this in this country. But there's a, there's a consistency to the level of service you get in Japan that you don't find here. Almost everywhere you go, you get treated, to begin with, with politeness, with attentiveness, and with a certain ganbare, you know, let's let go for it kind of positive attitude that you don't get here. You, you have to initiate the process of getting great service here. I think also in Western cultures, the base of hospitality is empowerment. So if you go into a restaurant and you ask them a request about the menu, for example, they on the spot could probably accommodate your request. So it's empowerment based hospitality in Western cultures, I believe that it's more of a cultural ingrained type of hospitality. I, I think you're, I think you're, um, zeroing in on something uh, quite insightful there because of course the simple comparison between these two cultures is one is more group conscious and the other is more individualistic. Well, I think this is extremely insightful. Let's talk a little bit about your model. Okay. I think you have yep. six points I think you mentioned yep. when you deconstruct what omote nashi is. Uh, yep. Why don't we go into that? I think that's pretty interesting. Oh, okay. When I began and came across the word omotenashi, and I didn't know it when I'd first gone to Japan. I started Googling away, and what does it mean? And I, it didn't take me long to come across the word kikubari. The general description of it was uh, anticipation. And then I came across the word kodawari. And then I realized that there are several concepts that go together in the model, which I'll lay out for you now then. Omotenashi is used in the customer experience context as a catch-all expression to say doing good stuff for your customers or your guests okay but at the the root level it's a behavior which i'll define for you as best i can in a second here's here are the elements that i think it comprises you start with an attitude towards your customer which in the west we have the customer is king in japan they have okyakusama wa kamisama desu and that means, as I'm sure you know, that the customer or guest, because kyaku means customer or guest, is mm -hmm. divine. It gets incorrectly translated as is, is God with a capital G. It's definitely not God with a capital G. It's divine. It's a little God. You know, there's divinity everywhere. So you're talking about Shinto. It's a Shinto concept. You know, they talk about kami, the, the, the little gods. So the first concept in the overall Omotenashi model is Okyaku-sama, Wakami-sama desu, basically saying that we are all divine and I recognize the divinity in you 
that is also in me and I treat you accordingly. And accordingly leads on to this concept of omotenashi itself, which I'll leave for the end for what the real definition is. The other elements, this attention to detail, both static and dynamic. Kodawari is an attention to detail. It's almost as if you, the customer, are not important to them. They want to do whatever they're doing in the in the preparation of the, the service setting or the creation of the product that, you know, that delivers you a service and so forth. They want to do it perfectly. They want to turn their, the function of what they're doing into art. They want to take it to this higher level statically. And then, of course, the dynamic part of that is kata. Kata, you know, I, I learned kata when I was learning karate as a 17-year-old. You know, this Perfection that you get through the repetitive, you know, the, the, the thousand repetitions of something and you end up doing it perfectly without knowing why, but you've arrived at perfection in the performance of some dynamic thing you're doing. And I think Kodawari and Kata are related because one, to me, seems uh, dynamic. Kata is a dynamic process of doing something. And the other two elements are, the first one is Omoyari. This word I came across, uh, which broadly means empathy, empathizing with other people. And to do that, you have to be non-judgmental. You have to be in the moment and you have to be empathetic. So this whole business of Omo Yari, well, there's no point in being empathetic and sitting there and your customers just arrived in. It's a hot day and you're looking at them. Oh, my gosh, they must be suffering. No, get them a glass of water. There's a simple example. That is the kikubari. Kikubari was another word I came across, which roughly speaking gets translated to anticipatory service. And, and the word comes from ki, meaning, you know, like, Chi, energy, and so forth, and kubari, meaning to spread around, to take upon the burden of uh, seeing something that requires doing, anticipating it, and then doing it yourself. I, I kind of found you know, Japanese is a fascinating language and how it came from spreading around your energy to anticipation. I'm not quite sure how they got from A to B, but that's what it means, uh, practically speaking. And I put these three elements together. If you're empathetic to people, then you want to anticipate what their needs are. If you are meticulous and you love what you're doing and doing what you're doing is almost like a meditation, you want to turn your uh, restaurant setting into, into an artistic uh, experience and, and then you want to turn the preparation of the food into almost you know, uh, you know, another artistic performance art experience. And, and the first element, this business of the customer is a god, a little god, and you serve them with omotenashi. These six elements in my model go together to be the overall customer experience components. You said the six components are kodowari, kata, kata. omoyari, kikubari, okyakusama, and then... Omotenashi itself. That's exactly it. You have three words there that start with a K, and you have <laughs> yeah. three words that start... An O. Oh, okay, okay, okay. <laughs> what I haven't done so far is to actually give you a definition of what the individual behavior, omotenashi, I believe, actually means. Because when I laid out the model for you earlier, I said this is 
the model that goes together. And one of the components is this individual omotenashi. I, I have looked across several definitions. I've seen it described as something only the Japanese can do. Obviously, I disagree with that. But the best definition I can put together is the concept of giving of service to other people with no expectation of any thanks. That's the core of what omotenashi is. Very impressive. For somebody who hasn't lived in Japan for an extended period of time, the fact that you were able to come up with all of these uh, is very impressive. You've obviously done a lot of studying. And I know that you were in Kyoto for, you said, I think for three months. So other than your personal interactions with Japanese during this three months in Kyoto, how did you study or research omotenashi when you were here in Japan? I took everything I'd learned. I had this model. I'd come across all sorts of examples and so forth. And when I went out to live in Japan, I had to do it. I had to spend more than a week there. And I went to live in a little Japanese house, a little wooden house. What do they call it? Is it machia? A little traditional wooden house. I lived with a gentleman, Shiga-san, who was a third Dan Aikido master. And a um, very serious guy, him and his cat. Uh, who was shedding hair all the time. Very interesting three-month period because he didn't speak a word of English. And I rode my bicycle all around uh, all the time, and I just observed. And I observed, and I went in and did videos of... I wasn't in the video, if you will. I was observing the way Japanese serve each other and behave with each other. What it came from was observing how they treat each other, what their problems in, in doing that are, the, the, the constraints that you've brought up quite rightly too. Uh, going to the supermarket every two or three days uh, and watching how in the supermarket the cashiers are not sitting down, they're standing up. They take the, the, your goods from one basket across the barcoding thing and put it in another basket and the politeness and the eye contact that's going on. This is not serving a foreign tourist. This is the normal behaviours of showing politeness, of being attentive, of being proud of what you're doing and so forth. It's interesting that you mentioned that, Paul. You know, maybe I just take it for granted, but now that I think about the supermarket experience, if I buy anything that's in a glass container, they will wrap those glass containers so it doesn't break. If I yep. buy some fish, they will put it in another plastic bag. Yep. They will put the non-food item in a separate bag for the liquid things they put it in a separate bag should it break, the liquid doesn't uh, leak out. Now, yeah. they don't tie the top of it <laughs> together, so it's mm -hmm. a little bit self-defeating there, but I, I, the sentiment <laughs> is there at least. Yes, yeah, the thought that counts. You know what I see these things as being? The behaviors. Yeah. There's this, I think there's this deeply felt operating system of wanting to be a helpful, empathetic part of a society or of a, a company you're working for or whatever. And, and the, the cashier in the uh, supermarket has the opportunity through the function that she has, or mainly she, but some he's as well, to do multiple things to be helpful. Uh, and you just, you just listed them, you know, how can I make this better? How can I, how can I do my cashier thing whilst at the same time demonstrating I'm a good person, rather simply put. But. The supermarket example, and also you have the department store example where everything yeah. is gift wrapped over yeah. and over and over. But that's not 
done because the individual people at the supermarket or the department store are taking it upon themselves and they're worried about the dish detergent smell contaminating my strawberries. They don't do that out of their own belief that that's going to make me happy. That's a rule that was decided by the supermarket. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And I know I've said something sort of that might contradict it. It doesn't have, I think there's an and, it's not an either or proposition. I think the fact that there are multiple opportunities that are presented to the cashier through the rules by which they have to operate that give them the themselves the opportunity to do something, if you will, nice for the customer. Actually, it makes for a less robotic end user experience. Have you ever had a bad customer experience in Japan? Good question. Yes, I have. I was very disappointed. In doing all this research, I came across the, the retail outlet brand called Uniqlo, which is all over Japan. You know Uniqlo? Of course I do. They're, they're all over the world now. They're all over the world now. And there was an interesting video from the managing director or the CEO, whatever we call this, the top guy. Yeah, nice. He was being interviewed about the overseas expansion of the Uniqlo brand and what their goals and so forth were. Uh, and it was very, it's a very softball interview, obviously. And he's saying, well, what we're doing here, because their clothes are not, they're not super expensive. They're, they're affordable. They're affordable and they're sort of stylish, but they're not aiming for that. They're aiming to be middle of the road. And he said, oh, well, what we're doing here is we're not really exporting our clothes. We're exporting our service philosophy. And everybody who works and is a manager of Uniqlo has to come. If you're going to manage a shop in Sydney, Australia, one of our outlets, you have, to, as a manager, you have to come and work in Japan for six months and to learn how we do stuff and to learn about, are you ready for this? Our omotenashi. Yeah, because this is what our whole service proposition is at the re in retail is delivering a great omotenashi experience as you do your buying for your t-shirt and your jeans. I thought, brilliant. Can't wait to go into an omen, to a, a Uniqlo store. Last year, I went to live in Japan for three months in Kyoto, uh, cycling around every day. Ah, there's a Uniqlo. So I went into the Uniqlo. I didn't get any Irishina save greeting. I was paid virtually no attention by any of the sales staff. And I thought, wait a minute, I was distinctly told that the team in Uniqlo have six questions they have to ask you, and they always do. And I, I was just waiting for them to come and go through the routine, which I would have been able to report uh, in a blog to say, I've just been to Uniqlo, and they do all this stuff. No, they don't. <laughs> and I was kind of disappointed not to say the service was bad, but it wasn't what it said on the wrapper on the Hospitality in Japan is sometimes a bit checklist. It's not 100% individually empowered. It's hospitality on their terms or how mm -hmm. they determine what hospitality is. Mm -hmm. uh, I once stayed at a five-star hotel in Kobe. I was just there for one night. I, I had only an overnight bag with me, very small, like a, like a carry-on that yeah. you would have uh, for the airplane. Yep. But the bellboy, while I was checking in, the bellboy insisted to carry my bag for me to my room. 
and my uh-huh. briefcase, which I didn't need because they're both small, they're both light. But he and I yeah. said, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. But he kept insisting, almost as if these were the rules that they had to do that because this is what that hotel defined as omotenashi, for example. Yeah, yeah. The second thing that happened to me at this hotel was that evening at dinner, I looked at the menu. And they had today's pasta or today's soup or whatever it was. And I asked, what is today's soup? And they couldn't tell me. They had to go ask. So obviously, (laughs) management had not briefed the staff on what today's specials were. And then the third thing that happened during this stay was the next morning at breakfast. As typical for most Japanese hotel restaurants for breakfast, they had a set breakfast and had three components. It had eggs, it had a meat, and it had a side. So the eggs you choose, do you want scrambled eggs? Do you want over easy? For the meat, do you want bacon, sausage, ham? And for the side, I think it was it was rice or it was toast or it was a salad or something. Yep. And for whatever reason, I didn't feel like eating meat for breakfast that day. And so I asked them if I could substitute the meat for a second side. So the eggs uh-huh. and maybe say a salad and uh-huh. toast for example. Mm -hmm. That was not possible, I was told. In this case, I had great service, but Mm -hmm. there was not much hospitality there because they were forcing their definition of hospitality on me with the bellboy. They hadn't prepared their staff at the restaurant, and they showed no flexibility in my needs and desires for the breakfast. What say you? I say that's the dark side of the, you know, the, the very consistent, the, you know, the, rather like you said, the, the, the attention to detail, the kodawari has a dark side to it. It has a, is a two-edged sword uh, where the consistency of delivering what they want to deliver is more important to them than delivering what you want individually. As I said earlier, the, the bell curve of customer service quality, for want of a better word, whereas you can get superb customer service at the individualized level. And, and it's almost shocking that you can be staying in a, you know, in a five-star Western-style hotel, perhaps. You were not staying in a rear camp and not being able to get what seems very obvious that you should have been able to get. If I can back up a second, your first story was interesting. Your bellboy who wanted to take your, your hand luggage it almost wouldn't take no for an answer. He wasn't doing it for a tip. He was no. He was constrained by the rules. He was, you know, living under the yoke of having to do the things that are on his checklist of things you have to do, even if the guest says no. And this lack of flexibility is the flip side of the same coin that gives for the 98%, I'll pick a number there, of people who don't need the flexibility they're getting the consistency. And it's the consistency that counts in the same way that the consistency, you know, when you go and uh, Ray Kroc, Mr. Mr. Uh, McDonald's, he didn't invent the hamburger, he invented the consistency. Consistency counts for a lot more than we give it credit sometimes. The, the point is that consistency means that people are not surprised by what they receive because it's the same that they got last time and the time before and the time before that. One of the ways of being very consistent is having a very clear, undeviating rule book 
this is how you do it. There's a misconception that because of the underlying Japanese philosophies, which they all share from a young age, that you don't need to teach Japanese how to deliver the various service behaviors that they do in you know, hospitality outlets. The fact is they are quite heavily trained, but the underlying attitudes that lie behind it, you don't have to train. I had a very nice chat with a, an Australian guy, Kieran Myers. I, I went and did a, an interview and a, wrote a blog piece uh, in Kyoto. He's a GM of a lovely um, a boutique hotel by the Imperial Gardens. And I said, do you have to teach Japanese how to do this servicing? He said, oh, no, you can get taxi drivers. You, almost anybody can come straight into a hotel context and know how to behave in a polite, empathetic uh, way with the customers. We do have to teach them, he said, how to run across the various processes that form our product. Uh, and he went on to say, but the problem, and I think you're alluding to the same thing, the problem is teaching them the degree of freedom and independence that they have to go above and beyond your basics. And that's I think the word that you're searching for there, Paul, is empowerment. Yes, it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. Perfect word. Did you know that in Japanese, there is no direct translation of the word empowerment? <laughs> I didn't know. Is that a fact? How about that? So I wanted to talk a little bit about your business. And I'm just wondering, what kind of companies do you consult for? And obviously, when you're pitching your service to these customers, you would obviously mention about how certain parts of their businesses are going to improve, maybe some KPIs. What is your sales pitch to these companies as a multinational consultant? Fair, fair enough question. The answer is not as direct and clear-cut uh, as your question might suppose it to be. I do consulting in different forms along a slightly different and more, if you will, obtuse track, and that is the, the subject matter. Because Japan is so far away from our general consciousness here in UK, it's very difficult, and it's not the proposition to come in and saying the Japanese do it like this, and this is what you're going to do, and uh, after I've taught you, and you're going to get certain KPIs out of it, and so forth. I could see how some people or some companies might be a bit resentful about that. Here you come in saying, oh, the Japanese way is so fantastic. In a way, you're indirectly saying your hotel, your re your company, yeah, your yeah. organization yeah. are not doing it the way you should be doing it. Yeah, I, this is, I say, this is the problem. Uh, I don't even think I began with that idea. I was uh, aware enough that this wasn't going to fly as a proposition. But I'll tell you why it's how I, how I approach it uh, and what the form is of my uh, consultancy, but... It's going in and saying, you know, if you were working in a car factory here in UK making Jaguars or something, it would be pretty interesting to go to see how they do it in Ferrari's factory. It would be interesting to go and see how uh, super supercars are made and uh, how the Italians are doing it. And it's, it's a little bit similar. The proposition is this, that there is this hospitality and customer service culture you don't need to be Japanese in order to do these things. You need to just to exhibit the behaviors, do what they do, and you'll get the same end result, even though you're not Japanese, if you want to put it like that. 
And I say the, the material I want to go across, uh, this is in the process of selling it to uh, learning and development managers, human resources leaders, and so forth, is saying, listen, every year you, you have a certain amount of budget to, to uh, invest in your teams, to teach them about customer service and so forth. And it's a very important part, ever more so. Every year people hear the same story where you listen to somebody talking and trying to motivate you about how you should do a better job delivering your customer service. My approach is different, saying, let us look at the Japanese customer service, and probably nobody in that room has ever been to Japan. So it's a little bit like looking at something very alien. And let's see how this very fascinating and international, you know, across the sea, so to speak, culture goes about delivering customer service, having first established that there's a lot of consensus by people who've been to Japan that it feels great on the receiving end. So I use it as a tool to gain engagement, to say, let's talk about their customer service. But of course, in the process, when people are thinking about how other people do customer service, they cannot but help think about the customer service they're giving in their own context. So instead of doing a half day or a whole day uh, seminar or you know interactive program uh, to say this is how you should do it this is what you should be doing it's completely the other direction you're heading and saying let's look at the Japanese what they do it meets a lot less resistance there is interest in the subject I start off talking about the history of Japan we've come from a feudal society with shoguns and samurais and so forth to a modern industrial nation who still exhibit these same behaviors for various cultural reasons. The end result is a wonderful culture of giving great service, being extremely polite to one another, reciprocating that politeness, great attention to detail, being empathetic, and we're getting closer to my model. But it's not a critique of their own service behaviors and processes it sounds like it's more of giving them some inspiration uh, maybe a good analogy might be a chef a french chef maybe he's a chinese chef but mm -hmm. if they go to japan and learn some japanese cooking or if they go to some other country and learn some other country's cuisine they might get some inspiration that they can add some type of spices here or some types of flavor there to kind of enhance the base that they already have. I think that's a great analogy. And it's not so much about the KPIs, it's about an inspiration. It's not so much teaching them how to do, uh, how to be Japanese or you know how to necessarily emulate uh, certain things, but rather to say, we know you're good at what you do, Let's talk about some other people who are good at what they do. Uh, the, the real problem is that you get a great deal of resistance when you touch on this subject of serving other people, especially in the UK context. What do you mean by that? Uh, we touched on this earlier. We, we have a very individualistic society where it's very much up to the guest or customer to initiate the, the service tango, to go back to that other analogy. So when you go in the shop here, uh, talking to a manager in a, in a retail context about a couple of months ago, I said, I can see you guys, you know, do great services. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the conversation moved on a bit. said, of course, 
If a customer isn't polite to me, I won't, I won't be polite to them. His qualification of whether or not he was going to, if you will, go out of his way or, or whatever in, in being polite, in being very helpful, going beyond the minimum that you can get away with doing, required that the customer first uh, made the opening gambit. They had to demonstrate that kind of humility and respect for their position before they began receiving the kind of service that one takes for granted in cultures like Japan. And then, Sounds quid pro quo. If you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. It's exactly quid pro quo here. And it's almost the opposite of, Hiroshima welcome, will ring out. This brings me to another question, though. In the UK, can you actually teach omotenashi? And what I mean by that is it's a mindset. And omotenashi is based, or I should say it's rooted in a lot of Eastern religions like Shinto and Buddhism. And if if that's not your culture or your background, it might be very difficult for people to have this kind of customer first mentality to begin with. Another good question is, you mentioned too there, you mentioned Buddhism and Shinto, and the other one being Confucianism. This is the three-legged stool of Japanese culture. This respect for el- for elders and your ancestors, uh, the empathy, this selfless thing is pure Buddhism. And if you don't have that as, let me use a computer analogy now. Let's talk about those three elements as being the operating system and the behaviors are the application that you put on top of the operating system. And you can't do certain applications if you're, if you're not running on that those three operating systems. I like it. Yeah, it's not a bad analogy. And here's a sort of circular argument. If you want to have this level of self-esteem, it might come from the fact that you know you're doing the best job possible. And you're not being thrown off balance by people who are not reciprocating it. You're just delivering great service. So what are the behaviors? What should you be doing? Now, if you did this and this and this and this and this, some of these ideas have Western psychology parallels. Uh, I'll I'll give you one example. The Japanese are very good. There's a word I learned in Japanese, aisatsu, greetings and goodbyes, aisatsu. The thing about the Japanese uh, practice of aisatsu, they don't just do the greeting bit, the Hiroshima say, you know, welcome to my shop. Uh, or restaurant bit, they do the goodbye bit as well. The thing is that aisatsu, greetings and goodbyes, which are drilled into Japanese from a young age. Japanese is very ritual, or Japanese language, uh, yes. ergo maybe Japanese people, but they're very ritualistic and ceremonial uh, yes. about beginnings and endings. And they have many words to signify these, like when you leave home, when you come back home, when you start a meal, when you finish your meal. All events, when you start the event, when you finish the event, same thing. Yes. Very, very ritualistic. I'd like to add one yeah. thing. I'll tell you now, because it's the thing I'm most proud about. About a year ago, I was I was contacted by a Japanese hotel chain, uh, the Prince Hotel Group, which you may have heard of. It's pretty big in Japan. And they were opening a new chain of hotels overseas, a sub-brand called the Prince Akatoki. And they've only opened one so far in London. They said, um, we understand you're um, uh, a domain expert, for want of a better word, on uh, 
uh, Omotenashi, would you be interested in developing some training materials for our staff in London? And I did, and the learning and development teams use those materials internally. They have their own HR and L&D teams to train up their staff. I'm, I'm rather proud that a Japanese hotel chain should ask me, a, uh, a Westerner, to create the uh, learning and development materials around the subject of omotenashi to use uh, to train up their own staff. Yeah, that, for sure. That's a, a real feather in your cap. A Japanese hotel chain. Yeah. And they asked you to conduct your seminars. I wasn't conducting seminars. I was creating the material so their own people could conduct the trainings. But they wanted somebody to put together the actual material in a transportable way. And I think the reason that they got me to do it was because I had understood the source material, for want of a better way of putting it, deconstructed it in Western terms and put it in language which could be understood in Western contexts. The various philosophies are Ichigo, Ichie, uh, one meeting, one chance, or one chance, one meeting, uh, Ishin Denshin, yeah. Ishin Denshin, wordless communication, and various of these other four-character proverbs. Uh, there's a word for that. I forget what it is. Yomoji Jiko. That's what it is. I knew you'd know it. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's a great story. So I'm kind of proud that a Japanese company should ask me to do that. The Japanese hotels, I mean, they are world-renowned for their level of service or omotenashi, if you want to call it. So for them to ask you to make programs for their staff in the U.K., <laughs> wow, congratulations. That's fantastic. What's the future hold for you, Paul? What's the future of omotenash-cx.com? Well, we live in unprecedented times. For me, there's no face-to-face -face customer training. There's no seminars. So I'm in a very you know, difficult place. Uh, along the subject of what is service, I've also tuned into digital omotenashi is the idea that you can deconstruct the behaviors and the concepts that lie behind regular face-to-face -face service and deliver them through the internet, if you will. You can use the principles that lie behind the omotenashi model, the way you respect your customers, the way you make the beginning and the end of the transaction memorable. So when somebody comes through your customer journey and the first thing is memorable, once they've got your money, they're not forgetting about you and they're designing the customer journey in a digital context in a way that, if you will, that is aligned with the principles of Omotenashi, anticipating the, the needs of the customer as they go through the journey using cookies and the various big data techniques that they can use. And you'll see this on Amazon is a good example. Uh, you're being dished up with things that you want to know about because they know about you. And this is Kikubari in a digital level. So I'm hoping to move forwards into those directions. It's also a bit creepy. I find it very creepy. <laughs> <laughs> but you're you're touting it as a multinashi where we no, both no. agree that we think it's creepy. <laughs> yeah, but... I. I I have a good heart. <laughs> if you approach it from the point of view of your customers are not transactions, they're people. And the customer journey is between you as a corporation and a human being. 
if that's your guiding philosophy in the design of your system, I think you can come out, you know, using the same techniques that can be done in a very creepy transactional way. You can, if your motivation is different, you can say, actually, we're here to build a long-term relationship with this person who we've you know, never seen their face, but we have an online relationship with them and to design your systems in a way, your customer journey in a way that uh, reinforces the relationship end of it, as opposed to optimizing the profit profitability side of it. Because I think if you take the long-term view, you end up being more profitable anyway. Does that mean that your business is going to start to focus on the digital side of Omotenashi? It's going to have to. Uh, to. I'm going to hopefully be developing up my webinar-based business to take my material, my insights, uh, and turn it into a, an online experience uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, I need to look for training, if you will, in a non-face-to-face -face way. Uh, but on the other hand, the principles get embedded into customer journey. And you can do this kind of consulting without the need to, to go and uh, sit in front of people. Uh, I mean, the change in society that we're now seeing in the last couple of months, I don't think is going to end anytime soon. I don't think we're going to suddenly be told, okay, it's all right to go back to the way you were. Society's irrevocably changed. We will see a continuation of social distancing. I think the, the whole hospitality sector is going to be decimated. But that doesn't mean that we can't find very meaningful ways to exist with other people uh, and to serve other people in ways that are meaningful and optimized for both the, the person delivering the service and the people on the, on the receiving end. But isn't Omotenashi, by its definition, isn't it a face-to-face -face thing? That's the conundrum, if you will. I, mean, I think the Omotenashi, the Omotenashi that sits inside the model, the serving other people with no expectation of thanks bit, that can be done not face-to-face. -face. It is primarily a face-to-face -face interactivity, empathetically reading the body language of the people you're dealing with. It's, it's 60 or 70% a face-to-face -face, uh, philosophy and set of behaviors. But there is a 30% which can be done uh, you know, over the phone, for example. I've worked with customer service teams who only operate over the phone. There are elements beyond the basic model the, the six-part model, such as uh, Aizuchi, listening attentively, the whole business of uh, the timing of your reciprocation to show that you're listening to somebody. Honpo and so this and all of that, that operates on a... <laughs> you're laughing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that ha it has a special word in Japanese. There's a right way of doing it. There's a wrong way of doing it. It's yep. all about timing. It's all about timing. I sometimes use it if I have to be in a conversation with somebody yep. who talks and talks. Yeah. All I have to do is put on my speakerphone. And yep. whenever they pause, I, I just say, Sodas ne, or Sugoi ne, or whatever. Yeah. I don't even have to pay attention. Just wait for the pauses. Yeah. Ah, but that's throw cool. out a Sodas ne, and then, yeah. hey, it's multitasking. Paul Willis, I want to thank you very much for joining me today. I I think that you really possess a lot of knowledge on Omotenashi that a lot of people don't know. 
And I really like your six components graph diagram. What would you call it? Schematic. <laughs> I think this is extremely insightful. Very impressive. In almost all of my podcasts, one of the things that I ask my guests, I ask, what is their favorite Japanese word that doesn't have a direct English translation? Mm-hmm. And kodawari, omoyari, kikubari, these are all words that usually come up in yeah. these conversations. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay, my favorite word is ma, empty space, ma. Does it have a direct English translation? Well, I don't think using the sort of word, the expression empty space captures the many, the many deeper meanings. You know, simply, if you imagine a cup, a vase or something, it's not the, it's not the vase bit that's important. It's the empty bit in the, in the middle, the ma, that gives it its function. Uh, the void, and I like it as a word because it's only got is one is one hiragana. It's easy to spell in English and Japanese, uh, and it goes so far. It's very connected with Zen, uh, and I, I must say, I got. I know it sounds corny, you know. I have this whole background in living in a Buddhist country, and I, I must say, I find Zen Buddhism very interesting. The idea of the void, of nothingness. And the nothingness containing all the meaning, all the me- in so many contexts, it's all in one little word there, ma. <laughs> very deep, very spiritual. I like it. <laughs> yeah, I, I look forward to meeting you in person when you come to Japan next time. Please, uh, let's stay in touch. Oh, absolutely. And I really enjoyed the conversation with you. So thank you very much. You're very welcome. It's been a great pleasure. Thank you. And that was Paul Willis. He breaks down omotenashi like you've never heard before. If you want to learn more about omotenashi and kodowari, kata, omoyari, kikubari, and okyaksama, check out Paul's website and blog posts at omotenashi-cx.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and catch you next time.